This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 550 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Comic book drought edition. We are Super Family, Billionaire Island Swipes Left, Kirk's Packing for Stovacore, Shazam Blows an Assignment, Malcolm Reynolds Kills Himself, Oz Joins the Angel Party, and we enjoy American Splendor. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, September 27th, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe find somewhere to leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737, that's 614-321-9SFP. Well, we're in the middle of a drought in terms of what's coming in the comic poll. As discussed recently, I yanked many of the DC titles as a response to the publisher abandoning Diamond Distributors. It was also an excuse to drop things I was buying more out of habit than anything. Thank goodness, because there were a lot of that I did not want to read anymore. While I've added new non-DC items, they have yet to come in. So as a result, I have all of six comics over the past two weeks. So we're covering them all, good or bad. Action Comics number 1025 by Bendis, Ramita Jr., Jansen, and Anderson. We're in the middle of the House of Kent arc with the whole fam together, Clark, Lois, John, Connor, and Kara, along with Brainiac 5, who came back with John for a sightseeing visit. But we begin with a flashback to a few years ago when Dr. Glory and Marisol Leone met in a diner. Glory is a fixer, and Leone is a client, both one out of their lives. They are making final arrangements when a super battle kicks off just outside. I gotta get off this earth. After a very distracting two-page Snickers ad featuring the Justice League, I was tricked that this was part of the story. We get a double-slash panel of the super team looking for Leon and the Invisible Mafia. They break into their HQ to find it deserted. Meanwhile, Dr. Glory goes to Star Labs and meets Red Mist. Glory is there to open up something that will take care of Superman. The emergency break glass plan. It's a version of Parasite from another Earth, which might be related to the whole dark metal event, which we are skipping. The Parasite absorbed all of that Superman's powers and more. Clark spies the super parasite as it breaks out and a big battle kicks off. Meanwhile, the FBI continues going over the Daily Planet's records after they learned Leon owned it, while Lois tap dances over the idea that they can keep publishing. Actually, Clark had just sent her an article about what is going on right now. Leon arrives and demands answers, and just to have John crash in, Mom, get out of the building. Everyone, hide. The battle continues, Connor is hurt, at least, and Leon grabs Lois and says, My house. As we now know, Bendis has until December to wrap all this up, so things have really started to speed up here. 
Billionaire Island Number Six from Ahoy Comics by Russell Pugh and Chuck Ree. In the final issue of this volume, which came as a surprise, we start with a movie trailer about a woman who kills her Tinder dates. Swipe left. Booty kill in theaters this summer. Meanwhile, the BI board meets to discuss next steps after the murder of Rick Canto. Back in New York, the escapees go on a news talk show and announce they killed Canto. One of them goes into a quick backstory where he was assigned to review and reject objectionable materials from Canto's social platform, which desensitized him to all violence. Another explained that she thought this was all an executive training program until she learned she was a prisoner. Then they note they were in international waters, which they were, so they can't be charged with anything. In fact, it's sort of the whole point of the place. The reporter provides evidence of AgroCorp's sterility virus and their stock tanks. The board meets at Natural Selections, a restaurant on Billionaire Island, where only endangered animals are served. When one says it doesn't matter that the stock tanks, since they're safe on the island. But that only works if the sterility virus is used or they will be swamped by refugees. So they turn to angry guy on a motorcycle and internet sensation who tells America that the sterility virus is essentially fake news and everybody buys it. Agricor is saved and everything the team sacrificed for is not. Or is it? The chairman, a dog who makes stock picks by choosing a food bowl, snacks on the sell everything bowl. The economy collapses, and the monitoring systems on Billionaire Island, designed to keep out non-billionaires, ejects everybody with drones escorting them to sea and presumably death. The reporter, who we finally learn is named Shelley Bly, tells her story while Spagnola signs up for a new hunt. A story that went from dark satire to a trenchant tale, and it only took a pandemic to do it. Star Trek Year 5 from IDW by Lansing, Kelly, Hernandez, and Gamboa. A storyline that has been kept amazingly free of detail until now. Is the animated series the final year? Are the books? This book tells the tale of Kirk and Company in the final year of the original mission. The Enterprise is welcome back only to have the Klingons arrive and demand that Kirk be held over for trial for all his injustices against the Empire. You know, meddling in the Capellans' activities, Friday's child, preventing the Trojan queen from receiving a warrior's fate, Ellen of Troyes, creating a famine in the Empire, the trouble with Tribbles. After the Federation hands him over, wanting to avoid a war, Kirk is found guilty, of course, and has to go through a gauntlet designed to kill him. Meanwhile, Spock and McCoy are under house arrest on the Theseus, a Star Trek vessel where humanoid experiments are underway on missing crewmen. Once they learn the captain wants a war to cover this all up, Spock nerve pinches him and they take over the ship. Star Trek rule, all non-Enterprise captains are either incompetent or evil. Kirk has a final battle with a Klingon, arguing that killing him will send him to Stovacor, Klingon heaven. But this Klingon has no honor. He just wants Kirk dead. Ariel Shaw, now the Attorney General for the Federation, orders Kirk to be transported back just before he's killed. He orders the Klingon ship to be fired on, just warning shots, and the Klingons warp out, and I'm not really sure why. Well, because now Kirk knows that that guy has no honor and doesn't, you know, think he's going to go to Stovacourt dying in battle, so he knows he can fire the warning shots and chase him away. But it seems like, wouldn't the rest of the the Klingons on the ship say no? Well, maybe they do after he runs away. Oh, maybe. You know, maybe we'll find out later that there was a mutiny and he was killed. I would hope. 
Kirk has an internal monologue after being cleaned up and thinks about his brother Sam. Spock notes there's a potential mission to go on, but Kirk notes that's someone else's job now. Next issue, Mud for President? I continue to be impressed with this title, especially all the Easter eggs. Shazam number 15 by Loveness, Peterson, and Etia. Hey, I thought that was last issue was the final issue. Hmm. Well, it wasn't. Billy's thought on the cover, What Now?, describes the anticlimax of this final, final issue, Mark Check to be sure. This appears to be a story from the slush pile having nothing to do with Jeff John's plot. Maybe it was prepared to fill a hole and then John surprised them and actually got an issue done on time? Well, no need to waste it, I guess. Cap is fighting a robot in Japan when he's supposed to be working on a school assignment. He makes it back just in time to be called out by a substitute teacher. This is after he asks why reconstruction after the Civil War is important versus cool things like superheroes punching robots. The sub goes into a diatribe about how we can't expect superheroes to fix everything. We love it when Batman chases the Joker through Gotham, tearing up everything in his billion-dollar tank. But when it comes to funding mental health facilities with the proper security and resources they need, well, we just simply don't have the money. Then when the Joker breaks out of Arkham and two weeks later, we act surprised and cheer for Batman all over again. Afterwards, Billy says she's just a bitter substitute to Freddy, but clearly she got to him. He wonders if he's actually helping people as he assists Aquaman in cleaning up the ocean, stopping bank robberies, two at the same branch the same day. He then sees an apartment building on fire with a convenient renter needing help, the teacher. After stumbling through a save, someone says, Use your freeze breath, man. I don't have freeze breath. He takes the distraught sub to a diner. Are you okay? She explains it's been a hard year and this was the capper. He inadvertently repeats what she said to Billy. Change is hard, it takes focus, and she wonders what is going on. The next day, Billy tells her he thought a lot about what she said, which doesn't get him out of his assignment. I I was busy last night. Oh, really? My apartment burned down and I'm still here. What's your excuse? Actually, a nice story, but it's too bad it got dumped off at the end of this series. Really, this would be just such a nice way to continue on the comic with stories like this. Yep. Firefly number 20 from Boom Studios by Pack, Bayless, and Sagala. Not going to go into huge detail here since you really need to read the whole series, but here's the list. Mal is now a sheriff working for Blue Sun, keeping order in the verse. However, the rest of the team is still out there stealing stuff. After pleading with them to get out of the area, he creates a new boss named the Bandit King, just Mal in a mask, simulating battles between the two and forcing Blue Sun to concentrate on that. He finally kills the Bandit King, actually a ship remotely controlled by Kaylee like a drone, and per official records, the King did all the crimes. He tells the team to skedaddle, but they want him to go with them. He refuses, saying he has to keep Blue Sun off their tail a bit longer. The rest of the issue is the team going farther and further out, trying to find a peaceful world to live on, along with all the resistance fighters, but the Alliance finds them every time. They wind up on a desert planet, which might become home. This is part of a Blue Sun Rising arc, so I doubt that's the case. Angel and Spike number 14 from Boom Studios by Thompson, Sherman, and Titoff. After a solid beginning after Boom took over the Buffyverse from Dark Horse, these titles seem to be losing steam. They were originally trying to tell a new overall story and a new continuity with the same characters, but it seems like they're drifting back. A lot of this issue centers on a brooding angel, when is he not brooding, while the team tries to tackle a werewolf. He struggles to fight off his literal bloodlust, 
Meanwhile, Fred has her first day running Wolfram and Hart. She's possessed by Balfamet. Strangely, the Dark Lord doesn't just take her over, instead letting her stumble through her job for the most part as a kind of comic relief. Meanwhile, the team catches the werewolf, and it's Oz. If we weren't so low on titles right now... To finish off this episode, we went through the stacks at the Graphic Novel Library and found American Splendor, a series of books produced from the mid-70s through the 2000s by various publishers. It's really a slice-of-life tale about a guy named Harvey Picar living in Cleveland. It's actual stories of his real life told in comic form. In interviews, Picar explained that he saw comic books doing more than formulaic stories about superheroes and science fiction. He discovered that Robert Crumb, a seminal independent comic artist, had moved from Philadelphia to his area, so Picar gave it a try with Crumb and others agreeing to do the artwork. Over the years, artists including Alan Moore, Ty Templeton, and Rick Gary would chip in. If you had frequented independent comic shops in the 80s, Hi, Monkey's Retreat! you might find this title front and center. The first 17 issues were essentially annuals coming out from 1976 to 1993 with Picar self-publishing until Dark Horse stepped in and increasing the frequency of the issues from 1993 to 2002. Two miniseries from Vertigo from 2006 to 2008 wrapped it up. Picar passed away in 2010. Harvey Picar was a mail clerk at the Veterans Administration, and many of the stories surrounded his ups and downs there. There are also biographies of writers and artists. Much of the book is told in the form of narration by Picar as we see the scenes play out. Stories run from a single page to whole books. There are rarely any huge climaxes or conclusions, since such things really don't happen in real life. Some just kind of peter out. In some cases, Picar makes plans to do something to improve his lot in life, but abandons them when the going gets tough. Harvey is not a happy man. There were larger works not officially part of American Splendor, but in the same continuity, again, based on his actual life. Our cancer year follows Picar's fight against the disease. Our movie year follows his experiences as the books were turned into a film. The compilation I have from Ballantine Books in 2003 is a tie-in to that film. At one point in his life, Picar made appearances on the old NBC Letterman show. He was an interesting, if not scintillating, guest, and something you might want to look up online. If you want something different from your comic books, you could do worse, but do keep in mind, it is an adult book. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.